What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. You know it's football season when your allergies start to flare up. I don't know if I've been the only person who's been having some allergy issues, but I sneezed six times straight in class today. And I was just looking at everybody, and everybody was looking at me. And to be honest with you, I felt a little embarrassed. I was like, damn, like, I know it's allergy season, but my allergies have never been this bad. But you know what really could be bad? Jonathan Taylor potentially getting traded to the Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk about how good Jonathan Taylor would make the Dolphins if he was acquired by them via trade with the Indianapolis Colts. Do you trust the Saints to win the NFC South? The Saints are a team that many people are in love with. They're rooting for Derek Carr. They got a really good supporting cast around him, plus a fantastic defense. But do you really think this division is just up for grabs? Or do you think that the New Orleans Saints are the team to beat in the South this year and the NFC? Are the Lions, are they overrated? Is this the same old Lions team that we've seen for several million years? They go into the season and they're not really good. The only difference between this year's Lions team and the Lions team of the past is that the 2023 Detroit Lions actually have high expectations. And I don't know if expectations for the Detroit Lions have ever been this high going into this season or into a season. Could they achieve their goals, win this division, or will they underachieve and possibly miss the playoffs? And lastly, we got... Record predictions for college football, they finally have arrived on the JT Sports Podcast. Going to be giving you guys my 2023 Pac-12 predictions. Before we begin, listen to the audio version of the JT Sports Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you got a smartphone, take that thing. Download Spotify Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Go to your search bar and search up the JT Sports Podcast and give us a five-star review. If you enjoy the content and want to support the channel, the best way to show your support is by giving us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. It's free to do. It only takes 30 seconds, and it's the best way to support the channel. So go ahead and give us a five-star review if you enjoyed today's episode. And before we begin, man, I got to sneeze real quick. My bad, man. I told y'all my allergies were flaring up. Now, let's start off with this. Jonathan Taylor has been given permission to seek a trade out of Indianapolis. And word on the street is that there's a good amount of interest when it comes to acquiring Jonathan Taylor. Despite the current state of the running back market, there are a good amount of teams out there that feel like Jonathan Taylor could be the missing piece to their Super Bowl puzzle. And one of the teams that has expressed the most interest in trading for Jonathan Taylor has been, surprise, surprise, the Miami Dolphins. Jonathan Taylor, we know he's one of the best running backs in the NFL when he's fully healthy. If he gets traded to the Miami Dolphins, the Dolphins' chances of winning the Super Bowl dramatically increase with him. You can have concerns about their offensive line, can Tua stay healthy, 
But what you can't deny is that the Miami Dolphins will probably have the best non-skilled position group in the whole entire NFL. When you take into account their wide receivers, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and what they could potentially have at running back by acquiring Jonathan Taylor, it will really move the needle in a favorable way to Miami being able to win the Super Bowl. Now, let's say Jonathan Taylor gets traded to Miami and they only give up a couple second, third round picks or just a late first round selection. This team, are they the best in the AFC? Do you think that Miami could go on the road during playoff time and upset Kansas City? Now that you're not going to go into that game with a one-dimensional offense, you're going to be able to have a running back that's going to be able to take some of the burden and pressure off of Tua Tagovailoa, and you're going to be a way more balanced and complementary-style offense. And when you're going on the road to face Kansas City, sometimes your quarterback could get out to a slow start. And Patrick Mahomes, he normally ends up starting the first half of the AFC Conference Championship games on fire. And the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tagovailoa is that Tua Tagovailoa is good most of the times, but in big moments, he can come up small. Patrick Mahomes, he always shows up in the big moment. So how do you ensure, if you're the Miami Dolphins, that you give Tua Tagovailoa the best chance to lead your team to the playoffs? Well, you give him more talent around him, and by giving him Jonathan Taylor, you're going to have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. Miami was already a pretty good running team when they had Raheem Mostert last season. It's just that sometimes they tend to get away from the run game. With Jonathan Taylor and the freight train that he is, you're definitely going to make sure that you put way more priority on establishing the run game. And when you can run effectively in the playoffs, it's also able to take not just pressure off of your quarterback, but it also takes pressure off the defense because then the defense is going to be off the field for a longer duration of the time. If your offense can have a good run game and take a lot of time off the clock, it gives your defense a lot of time to rest up on the sideline and it tires out the opposing team's defense. Jonathan Taylor, he goes to the Miami Dolphins. Is this a team that could beat Kansas City on the road? I think they could. Could they beat Cincinnati? Why can't? Why can't they get it done? Jonathan Taylor, I like him over Joe Mixon. And the wide receiving core that the Dolphins have with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, I think is just as good as the wide receiving core that the Bengals currently have. What about the Ravens? What about the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets? I think with Jonathan Taylor, the Miami Dolphins probably end up becoming one of the top teams in the AFC if they're not in your top three teams or up there in your opinion right now prior to the Jonathan Taylor trade happening potentially. Right now, people probably view the Miami Dolphins as dark horse Super Bowl contenders. But you get Jonathan Taylor, you got no choice but to view them as legitimate Super Bowl contenders. You got an offense with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Tyreek Hill is debatably the best receiver in the game. Jalen Waddle. Arguably the best number two wide out in the game. And then you give them one of the best RBs in the NFL. I mean, there's just no way you can't say that the Dolphins wouldn't be up there 
with Kansas City and Cincinnati, especially if we include all the talent that they have on defense, especially when Jalen Ramsey comes back fully healthy. So Jonathan Taylor on the Miami Dolphins, this, in my opinion, would make this one of the top teams in this conference. And you probably could say they would be the best team from a talent standpoint in the AFC East. I would easily take Miami over the Buffalo Bills if they acquired Jonathan Taylor to win this division. The Patriots aren't really going anywhere. The New York Jets, they signed Dalvin Cook. That was a really good pickup. But is their offensive line going to be better than the Miami Dolphins? And the Patriots, they got Ezekiel Elliott, but he's not what he used to be. The Miami Dolphins, if they get JT on their roster, their chances of winning the Super Bowl improve a lot, and their chances of winning this division improve also. Jonathan Taylor will make the Miami Dolphins a really scary team. They're already a really talented football team as it is already. They have one of the top three best rosters in the NFL. And now you give them Jonathan Taylor, you probably could make the argument that they become the best team in the AFC. <coughs> My apologies, man. I'm trying to work through a sickness right now. We got allergies that are flaring up with us being in the middle of fall. So you may hear me get short-winded a little bit. May sneeze or cough. My apologies, man. It's just the allergies are really bad this year for some reason, man. Really, really bad. But you know what also is really bad? How people have been talking about the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints, most people feel, are locks to win the NFC South. This is probably considered to be the worst division in the NFL going into this year. The Panthers have looked like shit so far throughout the preseason. The Atlanta Falcons, uh, they could be interesting. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ew. Todd Bowles, Baker Mayfield, you like that? You think Tampa Bay could win the NFC South over the New Orleans Saints? Will Baker at QB? Ah, I don't really like that. But the New Orleans Saints, though, they got the most talented team in this division. I think we could all agree Chris Olave is one of the best receivers in the NFL. You got Michael Thomas, who also is a really good receiver when he's actually able to stay on the field. You got a pretty solid offensive line that has some injury issues last year. For the most part, this old line should improve, at least be a tad bit better this season than what it was last year. And the biggest acquisition for the Saints was getting Derek Carr. And with them signing Derek Carr free agency... That gives them a slight advantage in winning the NFC South because they have the best quarterback in this division. And when you have the best quarterback in your division, it normally gives you a little bit of a boost compared to the other teams in your division who have some concerns at the quarterback position. Bryce Young, how long is it going to take him to adjust to the speed of the NFL game and for that offense to get in rhythm? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is Baker Mayfield even going to be serviceable? Will he even be their starting quarterback for the whole entire season? The Atlanta Falcons, how is Desmond Ritter going to look? Is he capable of being able to be good enough for them to be a playoff caliber team? You see, the New Orleans Saints, there's a lot of reasons 
to like this team. And there's a lot of reasons for why you should pick this team to win the NFC South. But can you really trust a team that has a head coach with his losing record, with a losing record, his first couple of years as a head coach? Dennis Allen, he had a losing record with the Las Vegas Raiders in his first season as the full-time head coach for New Orleans. They missed out on the postseason. And you can't say that, well, he had to deal with a lot of injuries, but Sean Payton had to deal with a lot of injuries his final season in New Orleans in 2021. You remember he went 9-8 and eight with several different quarterbacks, Jameis, Taysom Hill, Ian Book, Trevor Simeon, and his best receiver that year was Marquez Calloway. If Sean Payton can go 9-8 and eight with a depleted, injury-riddled roster in 2021, why did the New Orleans Saints regress the year after with a better team? If Sean Payton was the head coach of New Orleans, do you think they would have missed the playoffs last year? You see, I love the talent that the New Orleans Saints have. And it's easy to fall in love with this team based off their roster. But do you know another team that we were all falling in love with around this time last season? The Denver Broncos. What did they have? They had a really good team around Russell Wilson, good receivers, on paper will look to be a pretty serviceable offensive line, and a fantastic defense. And obviously when the season kicked off, shit hit the fan. You want to know why? Because they didn't have a good head coach. Nathaniel Hackett was an awful hire by the Denver Broncos, one of the worst hires in NFL history. You remember Jason Garrett, the master clapper all those years where the Dallas Cowboys were underachieving despite having some of the best rosters in the NFLs because he was a average head coach at best. When you have a good team but a bad head coach, it hinders how good you can be. It hinders your team being able to reach their potential. And if you're really putting your confidence and your faith in the New Orleans Saints this year to win the NFC South, I got to ask you, do you really trust Dennis Allen that much? Historically, outside of Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and maybe a couple of outliers, there haven't really been too many head coaches that have had losing records and then have ended up being able to make it work during their second start or their second stop. The coaches who normally are successful when they get second chance opportunities to become head coaches again are the coaches who have winning records at their previous destination. Andy Reid, Doug Peterson, those are guys who got fired from their first job and were successful at their second jobs because they were proven head coaches. It's just that sometimes you need a change of scenery. But Dennis Allen he hasn't been good anywhere he's been as a head coach, and he doesn't have a winning track record as a head coach. And when you have a head coach that at this point of his head coaching tenure that has this losing record, he kind of already has showed you what he is. And you see, I think a lot of people get excited about the idea of what the New Orleans Saints can be. But you see, when I look at New Orleans right now, I look at a team that they're missing the most important part to a championship team, and that's a great head coach. You can't win a Super Bowl if you don't have good coaching. There's a reason why you can win a Super Bowl despite not having the best quarterback 
but having a great team and a good coach around them. But you can't win a Super Bowl with a great team and a bad coach. It just doesn't happen. Eventually, your coaching has to be up to par. And I don't think New Orleans, with Dennis Allen at the mantle, is going to be good enough for New Orleans to be able to take advantage of this weak division. Yeah, we know New Orleans is the more superior team than the other teams in this division by a mile. And if they had Sean Payton, not only would I pick them to win the NFC South this year, but I probably would have them as Super Bowl contenders. But they don't have Sean Payton. He's in Denver. They got Dennis Allen. And Dennis Allen, he hasn't really proven much as a head coach. He's a good defensive-minded coach. He's really good on the defense side of football. But I don't know if he's just head coach material. There's just a lot of things that goes into becoming a good head coach. You got to be able to build a good relationship with your players. You got to be able to communicate to your players effectively in a way that's able to elevate their play. You see, Dennis Allen, he lacks in a lot of qualities when it comes to becoming a good head coach. He doesn't have good clock management. He can be overly conservative at times, overly aggressive at times. I just don't think he's a good head coach, and I think he's going to be a large reason why the Saints probably won't win this division. And it sounds like a hot take, and I'm not hating on the New Orleans Saints. I have nothing against the Saints. I'm not a Falcons fan, a Panthers fan, or a Bucks fan. I'm a fan of the NFL. I have nothing against the New Orleans Saints. And I'm not knocking the talent that the Saints have. I'm saying that if they had a better head coach, I would be much higher on them. So do you really trust the Saints to win the NFC South this year? Because I don't. If you were to ask me, gun to my head right now, life on the line, what team I would have to bet money on to save my life to win this division, I'm going with either the Panthers or the Falcons. I'm not putting my faith in Dennis Allen. History has showed us that if you have a head coach that has a losing record within his first three to four years, most of the times it tells you that he's not a good head coach. And I think we've seen enough of Dennis Allen over the years to know that he's not head coach material. It's crazy how Saints fans are so excited about this season, how everybody just wants to throw the concerns about Dennis Allen underneath the rug because they got Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but he's not a quarterback that's going to be great with dysfunctional coaching. For Derek Carr to be effective, he needs good coaching. And I don't think that he's going to be receiving that in New Orleans. There are Saints fans that wanted Dennis Allen fired during the middle portion of last season. There were literally petitions for Dennis Allen to lose his job. And Saints fans are just acting like that didn't happen. Derek Carr can be a serviceable quarterback if you got the right pieces around him. New Orleans has a good team, but I don't know if Pete Carmichael is it at offensive coordinator. I think Pete Carmichael kind of has forgotten how to be a good offensive coordinator. He was way better when Sean Payton was on the staff versus when Sean Payton was gone. The coaching just is a big question mark for me going into this year for the New Orleans Saints. They lost their defensive coordinator to the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know how great their pass rush is going to be. There are some roster concerns that I have as well. But more so, my concerns with New Orleans lie with Dennis Allen. And I think that the Saints are probably going to be what the Denver Broncos were last year. 
the media darlings, everybody is picking them to win a division. They think they're a lock because of how weak this division is. But the only time being in a weak division can be advantageous for you is if you have a great head coach. And the Saints don't have that. They don't even have a decent head coach. You can win a weak division with even a decent head coach. Bill O'Brien was winning the AFC South for multiple occasions when the AFC South was down. Same thing with the Dallas Cowboys when he had Jason Garrett a couple of years. That division was down. But when you're in a weak division and you have a terrible head coach, at least somebody who's proven to be a bad head coach up to this point in division with other bad head coaches that have losing records, nine times out of ten, you're not going to be able to take advantage of it because you're not a good head coach. And Dennis Allen, I just don't think he's it. If you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Listen to the audio version of the JT Sports Podcast. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Now... The Detroit Lions have been receiving a lot of attention from the national media over the course of this offseason. They are expected to win this division. They have one of the best teams that they've had in a very long time. And there is a lot of optimism around the Detroit Lions going into the upcoming 2023 NFL season. But there are people who push back on hyping up the Detroit Lions because, man... This is the Detroit Lions, bruh. They're just overhyped. They're the same old Lions. The same old Lions? So you tell me that signing Emmanuel Mosley, Cam Sutton, drafting Brian Branch, picking up Chauncey Gardner-Johnson still doesn't improve the Detroit Lions secondary? So the Detroit Lions defense is going into this season being the same bad defense that we saw last year? This is the same Detroit Lions team that we saw when they used to make it to the playoffs with Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson, how they used to come up short on multiple occasions because they didn't have great coaching. You don't think that, you know, their current head coach, Dan Campbell, is going to be able to finally have this franchise trending upwards? You see, I get the narrative around the Detroit Lions that they potentially could underachieve. But when you're looking at this roster and you look at how they match up against the rest of their division, I think by far they're the best team in this division and it's not really close. Minnesota, their defense has Brian Flores calling the plays now, but they're lacking a lot of talent at cornerback. And you have concerns about how effective their pass rush is going to be this year. The Chicago Bears, it's a proven year for Justin Fields, but even at their best, I think they're a 9-10 win team. And the Green Bay Packers, they could go either way. They could be really good. Jordan Love could be their third franchise quarterback, and their defense couldn't improve under Joe Barry. But if Jordan Love is average or not good, the Packers probably would be the worst team in the division. So I don't think Detroit is going to revert back to the Lions that we've seen of old time. 
This is a different coaching staff. This is a different team from the previous Detroit Lions teams that have appeared in the postseason in the past. You got a Lions team that last year during the second half of the season, they weighed, they went eight and two. And they weren't just beating up on bad teams. They nearly upset the Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving. They got one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. Ben Johnson, without a doubt, is going to be a head coach next season. He was getting head coaching interviews this offseason. You got an offensive coordinator that does a really good job at utilizing all his personnel. Jared Goff has quietly been a top 10 quarterback. Based on how he played last season, I feel it's fair to say that Jared Goff could be a top 10 quarterback this year, at least from a performance standpoint. He still is one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL. He has a really good offensive line, and he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when it comes to taking care of the football. You see, like, we got to stop judging teams based off history because history doesn't define your future. Your future is not representative per se, all the time based on what you've done in the past. Sometimes you have to judge somebody based on what they are at the current moment. And the Detroit Lions, what they were during the second half of last season was a really good football team. And it was a large reason why so many people have been high on the Detroit Lions over the course of this offseason. When you go 8-2 during the second half of the regular season, that's not just something that happens by accident. That shows that your team is hot and they're clicking on all cylinders. And if the Lions can bring in the momentum that they had at the end of last season into this season, they probably could start out having one of the best records in the NFC. I'm not looking at the Detroit Lions as being the team that's getting overhyped. I think that people are just hesitant to bet on teams like the Lions and Browns because they've been so disappointing in the past. It's kind of hard to put too much faith in them. But you look at Dan Campbell, what him and Brad Holmes have built up there in the Motor City. They have one of the better rosters in the whole entire NFC. And they very well could appear in the NFC Conference Championship game this year. Top five offensive line. They have an improved defense. They got two really good pass rushers, Aiden Hutchinson. They had a dude out of Jackson State who was a late-round selection. I believe his name was James Houston. He was also really good as a rookie. You got two very talented young pass rushers going into their second season where they should only get better. And your secondary has been overhauled and revamped. I will have a really hard time seeing the Detroit Lions win anything less than at least nine games this season. When you're this good up front and you have a top five offensive line, it's really hard for you to lose a lot of games. Being good up front normally results in you being able to hang with the majority of any team that you play against. Because when you're good up front, it opens up running lanes, it gives your quarterback more time to throw the football. It allows your receivers more time to create separation when they're running routes trying to get open. There's just way more positive about the Detroit Lions going into their season than there is negatives. There's more reasons to be optimistic about the Detroit Lions in 2023 than it is to be pessimistic 
of the Detroit Lions. I mean, what's the reason to doubt the Lions other than, oh, they're the same old Lions? Are you doubting their coaching? Because Ben Johnson was a head coach candidate for multiple franchises this offseason. Dan Campbell, he's a favorite to win coach of the year this season. And they got a really good roster and they overhauled the defense. There's more reasons to like the Lions than there are to not like the Lions this year. So are the Lions overrated? I'm going to have to go with a no. I think this team is getting the hype and the attention that they deserve based on what they did the second half of last season. Nobody is just hopping on the Lions bandwagon just to hop on it because they like the Detroit Lions. When is the last time the Lions ever got this much love from NFL fans in general and from the national media? It's been a very long time since we've seen so many people having just glaringly great things to say about this franchise. This is a franchise that wasted the prime careers of Calvin Johnson, Matthew Stafford, and Barry Sanders. If anything, we got a lot of reasons to hate on the Detroit Lions in their history. But this season, though, I think this is a different Detroit Lions team. This is not the same old Lions. And when we get to week one of the regular season and Detroit has to go up against Kansas City, I think they're going to show everybody that they're not to be slept on. This team is as good as advertised, and I believe that they're going to be able to live up to the lofty preseason expectations. Are you guys ready to get pissed off at me, man? We got Pac-12 record predictions for the 2023 college football season, man. We're going from worst to first, and I'm going to start off with Stanford. I got them going 2-10 this year. I don't see how the hell Stanford will win anything more than four games at best. They got a new head coach. They moved on from longtime head coach David Shaw. And with the current NIL era and transfer portal era of college football, I just think that Stanford is starting to get left in the dust. You got to get players academically admitted into the school before you can even think of them as a football player. Academics are a priority over there at Stanford. And they don't care how good you are if you don't have the grades to play. And I'm looking at their current roster. I don't think they got a great quarterback situation. They don't really have a lot of talent on the offensive line. The defense is severely lacking also. Stanford, not only do I think they're going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year, but I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the Power 5 this season. Cal comes in at 3-9 and nine for me. They have hit the transfer portal pretty hard, but they lost their starting quarterback, Jack Plummer, to Louisville. He's rejoining Jeff Brom, a coach who he spent some time with before he transferred to Cal at Purdue. I think that they could potentially be a team that maybe surprises people, but I don't think their head coach is that good. Yeah, they bring in a couple of good pieces from the portal, but... Their defense still is a pretty big question mark. Offensively, I just don't think that Cal is going to be all that great, man. You don't know what you're going to be getting out their QB position. I just think that they're going to be the second worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Arizona State, I got them going 3-9 also. Arizona State, I do like Kenny Dillingham as their head coach. Jalen Rashada, true freshman quarterback, has been announced their QB1 for this season. 
I'm hoping that Arizona State could be better than what I initially have their record at, but they lost a lot of talent to the transfer portal. Now, they do bring in a large transfer portal class. We've been paying a lot of attention to Deion Sanders and what Colorado has been doing in the transfer portal, but Arizona State has been just as active. But I don't think that Arizona State's portal class is as good as what Deion Sanders is. A lot of the players that they've lost over the couple of years, such as wide receiver Johnny Wilson, quarterback Jaden Daniels, have been impact players for major programs. Arizona State, with the talent that they've lost over the last couple of years, having a new head coach in there, freshman quarterback, I just think that this is going to be a season where we see the Sun Devils struggle in the Pac-12. Next up, I got Washington State. Washington State, they were a pretty solid team last season. Cam Ward was probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football last year. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks heading into this season. But last year, they didn't have a lot of talent for Cam Ward to throw the football to. Now, they did get a pretty good wide receiver from the transfer portal. And I do think that this offense should improve, especially the offensive line this year. And Cam Ward, if he can build on the successful campaign that he had in 2022, maybe he could be a Dark Horse Heisman contender. He's that good. He's a really good athlete, has a very strong arm. He's really accurate with the football. All he needs is a better playmakers. Now, like I said, they did hit the transfer portal. They did pick up a receiver or two, but I still think that they're lacking severely at receiver when it comes to talent. I don't think they do a great job at developing at that position either. So I still think that their offense is kind of going to be a little, a little bit limited there. Now, their defense should be really good. They had one of the best defenses in the Pac-12 last year. But with this offense not really making a lot of major improvement over the course of this offseason, I think they're going to be a 6-6 six and six team this year. Arizona, I think that Jet Fish and the Wildcats are going to go bowling this year. They've had some really solid recruiting classes. They also had a really good portal class. Their biggest pickup for the transfer portal was linebacker Justin Flo who used to play at Oregon, highly touted when he was coming out of high school. And he's a pretty good player when he's able to stay healthy, but that's the big thing with him, health. And he's not really able to stay healthy all that often. But you also do have Jaden Delora, who is easy to forget about in the Pac-12 this year with how good the talent is at the quarterback position this year in this conference. But he's pretty good. Really good at extending plays, getting outside the pocket, buying time for his receivers to get open. I think that this offensive line is, it could either be pretty solid or average. Now, this defense, I expect to take a major step up in improvement. I don't think this defense should be as bad as what it was last year. But then again, even if this defense doesn't improve that much, this offense is good enough that, yeah, they lost Dorian Singer to USC, but they still are pretty loaded at the wide receiver position despite losing him. I mean, this offense should be good enough that they should be able to win games without having a great defense, and they should at least be able to beat up on the middle of the pack, Pac-12 teams. They may not be able to beat an Oregon State or Oregon or Washington or USC, but they should be able to 
handled themselves pretty well against Washington State, Cal, Stanford, Colorado, and some of the other middle-of-the-road programs that are in the Pac-12 conference. UCLA, I got them going 7-5. and five. UCLA football has been trending up over the last couple of years under head coach Chip Kelly. Things were a little bit rocky to start, but UCLA has picked up some momentum in football. And even though they don't bring in great recruiting classes, the NIL and transfer portal era have greatly benefited Chip Kelly and the Bruins. Chip Kelly, he's a head coach that doesn't really care about recruiting. He'd rather just pick up a couple of key pieces from the transfer portal and build his offense around those guys and make it work. And one thing about UCLA that you can't overlook is that although they may not bring in a lot of talented recruiting classes, they always have really good quarterback play. Chip Kelly, he knows how to find quarterbacks, and he goes from DTR to another great quarterback, potentially, and Dante Moore, who was highly touted when he was coming out of high school. He was one of the best quarterbacks coming out of last year's recruiting cycle. And he most likely should get to start at quarterback this year. But if he doesn't, it's probably going to be Colin Schley, who is a transfer quarterback from Kent State, UCLA. They have a really good offensive line, really good defensive line. And when you think about Chip Kelly teams, normally you think about speed, finesse, what they used to be. At Oregon, they were a team that was going to kill you on the perimeter with all the athletes and track stars that they had. But UCLA, you know, this team just has a different identity under Chip Kelly than what Oregon had when he was coaching the Ducks. UCLA is one of the most physical teams in the Pac-12, probably the second most physical team right behind Utah. They're really good running the football. They get pretty good offensive line play. And I don't really think you need great receivers to be successful. At UCLA, Chip Kelly is really good at scheming guys open. So as long as he can continue to navigate the transfer portal, get a couple of key pieces there, utilize NIL in the right way, I think that UCLA should be trending in the right direction under him going into the Big Ten. And this season, I have them at 7-5. and five. Not as good as what their previous two seasons have been. I do think that... You know, starting a true freshman quarterback is going to come with some growing pains, potentially, if Dante Moore does start. I don't think it's going to be smooth selling. I think he could struggle a little bit early. They do play a couple of gimmies early. Coastal Carolina's an interesting game that maybe UCLA could lose, but I don't think Coastal is going to be that great this year. So their first couple of games are pretty easy. And then once they get into the meat and potatoes of their conference schedule, you know, that's where I think they could start facing some hiccups at. But with this defense having a new defensive coordinator, something that Bruins fans have been asking for, pretty much begging for for the last couple of years, the wishes were finally answered. This defense has a lot of talent on the front seven. The secondary also shouldn't be too shabby. So I got UCLA winning seven games this year. Colorado, I got them at 7-5. and five. Listen, I know this is where I'm going to face the most criticism, but with Colorado, I think that Deion Sanders has brought in way too much talent from the transfer portal for this to be a team that doesn't go bowling. This offense is going to be the best in this conference, or at least one of the best. They got a really talented group of wide receivers. You got Shadurak quarterback, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. 
Your offensive line should be pretty solid. Your defense is where your concerns lie. It's not really the whole entire defense because we know this is going to be a shutdown secondary. But their front seven is kind of questionable. So how is their front seven going to look? How good are they going to be when it comes to generating pressure on the quarterback? Now, the reason why I don't really care about Colorado's defense being that much of a mystery is because nobody in the Pac-12 plays outstanding defense. The three top teams in this conference that are favorites to win the Pac-12 this season in 2023 didn't have good defenses last year. USC's defense was trash. Washington's defense was trash. And Oregon's defense, despite having a defensive-minded head coach and Dan Lanning, their defense was trash. So it's not like Colorado is in the SEC and they're going against all these elite Georgia-like defenses. They're not going against teams that have elite defenses. The best defenses that they probably will see this year are probably going to be no better than top 50 defenses at best. I think with what the Buffs have on offense, I think they should be able to be a seven-win team, even if their defense doesn't play lights out. I think that their secondary is going to be able to generate a lot of turnovers at times. So I got Colorado going 7-5 and five year one under Coach Prime. Next up, I got Utah at 9-3. Utah, they've been Pac-12 champions for the past two seasons. They smacked Oregon a couple of years ago in the Pac-12 championship game under Mario Cristobal, and they smashed USC last year in the Pac-12 championship as well, and they're looking to three-peat. Now, I don't think they're going to get it done this year. I got them going 9-3. You have some injury concerns with Cam Rising. I don't know if they have a lot of talent when it comes to their group of pass catchers. Yeah, they do have Brent Keithy, who returns after missing the majority of last year with a season-ending injury. He's one of the best tight ends in college football. But Devon Ville, he's probably the most dependable wide receiver that they have. They don't have a lot of talent nor depth at wide receiver this year. I think their offensive line is going to be really good. You know that with Utah, they're always going to be a really good team when it comes to establishing the run game. And this should be a really good defense. They got a lot of talented guys on their defensive line. Their linebacking core, I'm really excited about. Their secondary is probably the biggest concern with them. And when you look at their schedule, they play some of the best teams in the Pac-12 this year. And I think with how difficult their schedule is, I think they probably have a little bit of a drop-off in their final year of Pac-12 play. I also got Oregon State at 9-3. This was a team that I was really high on around this time last year. They had an over-under win total of 5.5 going into the 2022 season, and they won 10 games. Now, they have DJ Uyungle taking over at quarterback. And I think he's going to be a huge upgrade compared to what they had at quarterback last year. Like, Bingo Brunson, he was solid, but you didn't really ask him to do much. And you remember those games where Oregon State was able to keep things close with teams like USC, but they weren't able to pull out the victory? That's because they didn't get good quarterback play in those games. And even if you're not a big believer in DJ Uyunglele, you still don't think that he's all that great. He's definitely in a way better situation to succeed in Oregon than what he was in Clemson. He's going to have a really good offensive line. This is one of the best offensive lines in college football. This is going to be a great defense. 
Oregon State is a team that I think could win nine games, but possibly maybe win 10 or more and make it to the Pac-12 championship. I'm a big believer in DJ Uyungle. I think when you look at how the Pac-12 was kind of like the rehabilitation center for quarterbacks such as Michael Penix and Bo Nix, you remember what the narrative was about those guys going into their respective seasons last year? Nobody really expected them to be as good as what they were. So I think maybe there's a chance that maybe DJ Uyunglele follows down the same path. And I got Oregon at 10 and 2. Oregon has probably the second most talented roster in the Pac 12, just strictly based on recruiting. Now, of course, Dan Landing. He was kind of a little bit gifted of a good roster when he got hired by Oregon last year. Yeah, he had to get the staff hires right and he had to get the quarterback position right. But outside of that, Mario Cristobal did a really good job at recruiting at a high level at Oregon. So it's not like Dan Lanning was coming in and he had to rebuild. This year, he goes into his second season. You expect for this defense to improve with Dan Lanning being a defensive-minded head coach. And when you're a defensive-minded head coach, your defense shouldn't be the worst aspect of your team. Now, with Oregon, you know, they do lose Kenny Dillingham, but they're a new offensive coordinator. They hired him off of UTSA staff. He has a really good resume. There's a lot of people who always got great things to say about him. So there might not be a big drop-off offensively, because the talent still is there. You're still going to have a pretty solid offensive line. Your defense really is your biggest concern. And if your defense can play at a high level, Oregon possibly could win this conference. They got the talent to do so, but I think they're going to go 10-2. I do think that that Texas Tech game, going on the road to face them in Lubbock, is a game that possibly could result in the loss for them. Texas Tech is a really good team. Jordan McGuire definitely has that program on the brink of a breakthrough and when texas and oklahoma leave the big 12 texas tech possibly could be the king of the big 12 and with oregon facing them on the road really early into the season i think that possibly could be their first loss of the season so i got oregon overall going 10 and 2 this year i do think that they possibly could win the pac 12 but my last two teams i got usc going 10 and 2 i I don't know if I can put them over Washington, who I have at 11-1 and winning the whole entire conference. You see, Washington is being heavily overlooked. And unless you're really somebody that follows the Pac-12 on a national level, it's easy to overlook this Washington team. But they got a lot of guys going into this season who probably are going to be drafted high in next year's draft. They got one of the best receiving cores in college football. You got Michael Penix, one of the best returning quarterbacks in the game right now. Kellen DeBoer had a really impressive first season at Washington after the disaster that was the Jimmy Lake era. Now, will this defense improve? I think that it will. They got talent. Talent really isn't the issue with Washington. It really is just getting those guys to go out there and produce. So I got Washington at 11-1. I got USC at 10-2. I think these are going to be the two teams that face off in the Pac-12 championship game this year. And I got Washington winning the conference. So these are my 2023 
Pac-12 record predictions for the upcoming college football season. Let me know the records that you guys agree with and the ones that you guys disagree with down in the comment section down below. And this is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. I'm sorry that, you know, there were like a couple of pauses here and there. It sounded a little bit awkward, but I'm battling some allergies. The allergies are really hitting me hard. And we're not even into the middle of fall yet. Like fall is just around the corner and the allergies are already kicking my ass. But hopefully tomorrow I should be a lot better. Shouldn't be having all the sneezing going on, all the coughing. I apologize for all that. But I appreciate you guys for sticking with me for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember to leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. Rate us five-star review or rate us five stars. We will greatly appreciate it. And I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.